want to speak to you about a topic this morning uh, of fatherhood. But listen to me. I know that many times people feel like a message like this is just to the men in the house. But I want to I just want to clear the air right now and say that it's not. In fact, this is not a message uh, just to men as it is about a message about fixing the brokenness of our culture. And, and men, need to be, men need to be put into the place where God has for them to be as much as women need to be in the place that God has for them to be. And there's not one thing that you can take away from a man to put a woman in the place where she is supposed to be and give her value. And there's not something you can take away from the women to give to the men to give them their proper value. Because the value that we have as humanity was given to us when Christ purchased us on the cross and we received it when we were born again. Somebody say amen. So this is not a message about sex or sexism. This is not a message about uh, one, be, one gender being primary or better than the other. This is a message about everything that the enemy has tried to do to twist and to contort and to pervert the God's structure that he has for the home, God's structure that he has for the church, and God's structure that he has uh, for society. Scripture gives us this picture here um, in Malachi chapter 4, it says this. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. I, just want, to, I want to give you the... The, the, the preface or the pretense for this message this morning. Speaking, the prophet is speaking about God causing something to happen on the face of the earth where fathers' hearts are turned to children and then children's hearts are turned to fathers. It's talking about a, a, a generational reconciliation, if you will. It's not just talking about, listen to me, it's not just talking about the people that you're thinking of right now in your mind where it's like their home could use healing. Or, or those, those fathers don't have a relationship with their, their children or those children don't have a relationship with their fathers. No, no, no. It's talking about a nation and it's talking about a generation. It's talking about generations and, and radical reconciliation and healing between generations because primarily God does something within a generation of fathers and turns their heart towards children. It's not a mistake that he says the hearts of the father went towards the children and then the hearts of the children went towards the fathers. He's saying, I'm going to do something in the children. The curious thing that I want you to think of with this this morning is that means that the fathers have to still be alive. Somebody say amen. If he's going to turn your heart, the fathers still have to be alive, right? Experts would call this generation um, of, of young people a fatherless generation. And it's calling this generation a fatherless generation not so much because the fathers aren't still alive, but, but so much so because the fathers aren't engaged. 
We, we compare that to another generation. During the Civil War, the United States had 31 million people in, in our population. 687,000 men during that time period died. It took two decades to remove fatherlessness from our generation, from, the, from that generation because of death. But they, they were not absent because they were disengaged. They were absent because they were dead. We're in a culture today where it's not that fathers are dead, it's that they're disengaged from their purpose. I got a prophetic word in prayer uh, the end of December, and the Holy Spirit said to me that it's going to be a year or a season of prodigals returning home. Like there's, there's children that are away from the Lord. There are children that are disconnected from families. There are children that are in homes, that are with families, that are disconnected. And that this is a year, this is a season of, of children, prodigal children, sons and daughters returning home. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of that when I began to prepare for this. And the Holy Spirit's downloading all of these things into my heart. Because as I'm speaking uh, uh, about uh, fathers and fatherlessness Today, I want to tell you this. God wants, to, God wants to bring prodigals home, but what He's going to do is He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers. Listen to me. I'm not blaming just the father of a house, and I'm not blaming fathers. I'm not, I'm not defining fathers as the problem. I am declaring fathers as the solution. I want you to hear this with me. I didn't come to... You know what? I sat through enough Father's Day services... And preachers want to know why fathers don't come to church on Father's Day. It's because they're always beating on dads. You know, you need to step up. You need to be this. You need to do this. This is 100% a prophetic message of calling you and encouraging you to step up and to rise up. Families, women, children. This is a message to you to make room. This is a message to you to make room in your heart, make room in your home, make room in your lifestyle. There might, I'm just declaring this right now in Jesus' name. Even by the end of this service, the Holy Spirit's going to be knocking on some men's heart that don't even have children. Say, even though you haven't had children born from your seed, there's children that you're going to father that have been born from my seed, the Holy Spirit says. And there's going to be a radical fathering movement that the Holy Spirit's establishing. And He's not just doing this here, but He's doing this other places. Listen to me. I guarantee if He's doing it here, He's doing it other places. And there's people that your children are already raised and you're, you're in a different season of fatherhood. He's going to call you. He's calling you back up. He's calling you back into fathering because there is such a fatherless generation that, that is alive right now that needs the presence and the voice and the touch of a father. Somebody say amen this morning. God's given men a conquering spirit. I said God's given us a conquering spirit. I watched my uh, freshman in high school wrestle and he didn't even realize this in the beginning and, and he's wrestling and he's newer into wrestling, but God's blessing him and he's doing so well and he's becoming very, very strong. He's becoming 
He's known in wrestling for his strength. And he, uh, he, would, he would get up from winning a, a, a match and he would get up from the ground and almost involuntarily, because he didn't know he was doing it, he would flex like this at the crowd, right? That's because within, within the, the male part of our species, right? Within the male part of the way God has made us, there's a conquering spirit, right? That, that God has given that causes us to be able to overcome, right? It causes us, there's a, there's a difference that I'm going to draw out between what God has called us to be as fathers and what God has called us to be as mothers and what God has made us to be as men and what God has made us to be as women. And one of those things is this conquering spirit. That's why in no way, shape, perform am I worried about the state of the culture that we're in today because I believe because of how Jesus made men to be fathers that he wants to flow through fathers and heal the breach that's in our society and see it reflect the goodness and the glory and the nature of God somebody say amen y'all gotta help me this morning we shouldn't be as surprised where the enemy attacks in our culture either you just shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised that the enemy attacks marriages. You say, why? Because the enemy hates anything that God establishes. You shouldn't be surprised when the enemy attacks harder after authority than he attacks other people. You shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised that it doesn't matter who the president is, they're under spiritual attack. You shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised in a church that, that the pastor is probably the most spiritually harassed and attacked person. I'm talking spiritually, right? You shouldn't be surprised because the enemy knows that if he can attack an, an authority or a covering that God has established, that he can affect everything else underneath of it. You shouldn't be surprised that the enemy attacks fathers in our culture. You shouldn't be surprised when you turn on a, uh, the TV and see a commercial that somehow thinks it has to, in order to elevate women, demean men, right? Shouldn't, it doesn't need to happen, right? Our value isn't taken from each other. Our value is derived from Father God because of the price that he paid for us when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. But you shouldn't be surprised when the, when the enemy attacks fathers, when the enemy attacks men. Because the home, and, and listen to me, I'm going to offend some people this morning, but it's not intentional, but it is intentional. Like, I didn't mean to offend you, and sometimes people are like, I know he was talking about me. I know he was talking, I'm not thinking about anybody when I say these things, right? I'm just, I'm just telling you that the home has become very emasculate in our culture. That the home has become very very emasculate, very, um, the, at first it was gender, gender neutral is the way they called it. And now things are, are, be, are, are being produced because of the lack of fathers. Listen to me. Fathers are the answer. We can blame the devil, right? Fathers are the answer. Jesus is the answer and he's going to use fathers. And there is a masculine sense and culture in our homes today. The church has become emasculate. 
emasculate, right? The church has become emasculate because of things called political correctness. Because men in our culture have been subdued and beat down just like in other seasons women were too. And I'm going to tell you this, women still are. But women aren't going to, ladies, you aren't going to derive your value from taking something from another man, from taking something from your husband, from taking something from fathers or men in culture. It's the work of the enemy to strip away value from everyone so that we won't know who we are and we live today in a culture that doesn't understand who they are and things have become so debased that we don't even know. I I remember my freshman in high school here talking to me. He's in zoology and at the same and, and at the same time he's taking a health class and uh, and in uh, zoology they're uh, they're they're determining the sex of baby chicks he's like dad it's a no-brainer you know they taught you and you look and it's very clearly either a male or a female then we go to health class and they're beginning and they're teaching your children right that there's not just two genders but some places are actually teaching now that there's more than 51 genders that you can identify with. It blows the lid off of my half-haired head, right? I don't understand it. But he's, uh, he, he's understanding, but he knows Jesus, so he's walking in light, right? And so he's looking at it, and he's saying, we can tell male or female in a... In a in a chicken, but we can't tell male or female in a human. You know why? Because we keep stripping value away from God's creation. And the more value that we strip away from creation, the more value we strip away from humanity, the more we don't understand. Because the only way you're going to tell how God made you to be is from hearing from God how He made you to be. Nobody else can tell you that. Somebody say amen. The role of a husband and a father and a man has been diminished in our culture. There was a study on some elephants that was done back a couple decades ago in South Africa, uh, Kruger National Park, who had at one point what was nearly wiped out uh, from elephants. Uh, they'd made these efforts and they transplanted and the elephants are actually overrunning the capacity of Kruger National Park. And so um, when this problem arose, they, they were starting a new national park in South Africa and another part of the country, Pylensburg National Park. And so they decided to relocate a good number of elephants. And so they devised a method with a, with a sling to be able to, uh, to you know, capture these elephants tranquilize them from a helicopter, corral them, uh, capture them uh, just temporarily, get them in a sling, lift them up with a crane, put them into like a semi-truck, and then haul them to this other preserve. And when they began to do it, they realized that the biggest sling that they had that they could find anywhere was only big enough to lift up the, uh, the smaller, younger elephants, both male and female. They're, they're, they're like, no big deal, they're going to grow, right? These, these scientists are looking at it, they're like, no big deal, it'll take a couple years longer than we thought, no problem. And so they, they, they take the equipment that they have and they move these younger elephants, quite a number of them, to this, uh, to this national reserve. And, and they're there for a period of time and they're growing and they become adolescents. 
and uh, a problem comes up in this uh, Highlandsburg National Wildlife Refuge that rhinoceroses are coming up dead. And at first they thought it was poachers. There was like, I believe, about a dozen of them that, that were dead over a short period of time, and they thought it was poachers. And, and so wildlife uh, people are going and they're looking and they're seeing that these rhinoceroses that have these coveted um, ivory that they're, they're still a part of their body. And so they're like, well, it's not that. What is it? And so they set up these cameras and, and this radio equipment to be able to look at what's happening. And they set up the stakeout and they're looking and they're watching and they're finding that what is happening to these rhinoceroses, especially the females, is that these younger adolescent elephants are coming in and for kicks, basically, are goring to death these rhinoceroses. And as psychologists begin to look at that, they begin to understand part of the problem with fatherlessness in our culture today. And, and so what happened is they realized what was happening and some animal psychologists looked at it and said, let's find a way, let's build a bigger sling, let's get some of these older, mature male elephants in here and see what happens. And everybody was skeptical, right? But they do it because they didn't have anything else to do. And so they brought in just a small handful of these mature elephants, put them into this uh, wildlife preserve with all of these youngers, and within, within just a very short period of time, all of the problems stopped because they're watching the elephant behavior and they begin to, the younger elephants begin to mimic the behavior of the older elephants. And so they realized that the younger elephants could not survive well without the older elephants. They, be, they began to, they, especially the older males, and they begin to, they begin to so then do a study on it. And these specific adolescent male elephants, their testosterone levels were through the roof from where they should be. Uh, a, a male elephant didn't really reach full reproductive maturity in a normal culture until the age of 28 for the elephant. But these elephants were reaching full sexual maturity, full hormonal maturity at the age of like 14 to 15. Then, we be, then I begin to look at our culture today. There's a few things I know about because I love psychology and studied it quite a bit. Um, the prefrontal cortex of the human male brain now is not fully developed until almost 27 now. It continues to slide older and older and older. At the same time, uh, puberty, uh, especially in the males, uh, but in the females as well, is becoming earlier and earlier gradually in our culture. And there's a lot of things that people blame it on. There's, there's, there is a, a lot of physical things that people blame it on. Number one, uh, they will say that, that digital media and digital devices like your phone that many of you have in your hand right now are affecting the development of the prefrontal cortex. And so, especially in the males, it's longer and longer before they mature and be able to make decisions. What am I talking about this? Uh, you've been around some young guys that are like, here, watch this, you know, hold my water. And then they do something absolutely crazy and they end up in the emergency. That's that decision-making prefrontal cortex capacity. The, 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 
then they're blaming, so they're blaming that a lot on uh, uh, screen time and things like that with digital media. Then on the other end of it, there's also studies that have been done with, uh, especially with synthetic hormones that have been released in our water system and synthetic hormones that might be in food that we eat that are affecting the development of our children. And I, I look at that and I, and I love science and I don't believe that true science ever disagrees with, with God. And I look at that and I'm like, yeah, I can see that. But then I begin to study and recently there was two major studies that were done that in a stronger way link both of those things to fatherlessness than any other thing. They're linking the, the earlier phases of, of puberty starting earlier in uh, adolescent age, and they're linking the, uh, the, the, the decision-making prefrontal cortex of the male brain specifically to the lack of proper fathering, even when there's fathers in the home. Even, even when there's fathers around, we've, we've stolen as a culture what a father is supposed to be away from a father to the point that most of the fathers in this generation don't even know what God says a father is supposed to be. So I want to speak to you about fathering this morning because four out of ten homes in Eaton County don't have a father present. Four out of ten homes. 40% of the homes that have children in Eaton County don't have a father present. Like, wow, that's more than I thought or less than I thought. Whatever. No, it's just four out of ten. I'm not saying, like, I'm not saying anything about it. I'm not saying that people here this morning, that you, you didn't have a dad in your life or you don't have a dad in your life, that you're going to remain disadvantaged. I'm not saying to you, moms that are single moms or that feel like you're single moms and you're doing things on your own, that you're so disadvantaged that you're going to continue to be disadvantaged. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying God has placed value within the scripture and within kingdom culture, specifically on fathers to release and do specific things. And the good news is, it didn't, it's really nothing to do with biology. Fatherhood, let me say this again in a different way. Fatherhood is really zero to do, biblical fatherhood, zero to do with biology. I mean, what biology does mean that as a follower of Christ, you have a responsibility for those that you've biologically been a part of bringing into this world. But there is a spirit of adoption that I believe that the Holy Spirit is bringing onto this generation right now of fathers that's going to bring a shift and a change. But this is the reason why I'm not preaching this series just to men. Because if the best case scenario happened and every man under the sound of my voice and every man that listens to this podcast for however long grabs a hold of God's truth and begins to shift and change and become the person that God's had created them to be, but there's not homes and relationships and a culture that's established within the church and a culture that's being pioneered within the community to allow those things to happen, there will continue to be a lid on those things. And so this is a message that the church needs to hear. And I'm declaring this in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm declaring a war on fatherlessness in Eaton County. In Jesus' name. I'm declaring a war on fatherlessness in Michigan. 
I'm not, I'm not just talking about homes that don't have dads. I'm talking about children that do not have the support and the voice and the presence of their father. I'm talking about wives that are trying to raise children somehow alone because their husband feels disadvantaged and doesn't need know how to function. In Jesus' name, before you today, I'm saying real life church and myself declare a war on fatherlessness in Jesus' name. We're going to look at what is a man. We're going to look at what is a husband. We're going to look at what is a father. We're going to look at that over the next few weeks. But to do that, we need to go to Genesis 2.15. Genesis 2.15. Because if we're going to understand what a father is, then we need to know what a husband is. We're going to understand what a husband is. We need to know what a man should be. Somebody say amen. amen. Engage with me this morning. This is good. Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Say tend and keep it. Say it one more time. Tend and keep it. There's something that's released there. And if we were to go into the Hebrew this morning, which we don't have time to, we could, we could understand that probably even a little bit better. Tend and keep as cultivate and guard. Those are the words we're going to use this morning. Cultivate and guard. Say it with me one time. Cultivate and guard. He, he, put, he put Adam, he put man into the garden to cultivate and to guard. And I want to give you three words this morning. I'm going to teach you this morning. And this is just the first installment of this series. So we're going to finish, but we won't finish today if that makes sense. Cultivate and guard. Say these three words with me. Pro protect, promote, provide. I say this to dads because I know this because I'm mid-aged. I'm middle-aged, I'm in between some of you all, or I'm the same as some of you all. But those of you that are middle-aged, or that you have been, or that you're about to be, listen to me. There's a real thing that happens, especially in men, and it's called a midlife crisis. There's a real thing that happens in men, psychologically, and it's called a midlife crisis. But I want to speak to you and say that that, that midlife crisis is because of the absence of the real midlife purpose that God has for your life. That the midlife crisis that, 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 that people experience, specifically men, is due to the midlife purpose that, that, that they're missing. And, and they may well be biologically fathers, but they're missing the purpose that God's given them to be fathers. Listen to me. They may well biologically or they may not be biologically. That has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm teaching you this morning. I'm teaching you that the purpose of the, of, of the midlife of a man is fatherhood. And that's not a lower purpose. That's the higher purpose. In fact, you can believe me. You cannot believe me. But men, fathering is the greatest purpose next to following Christ. And it's the outflow of that. The greatest purpose that God has for your life is to father children. And I'm not just talking about going around and seeing how many children you can make, right? We've seen people that have done that in our culture. I'm talking to you about finding children and fathering children. And we're pulling the stigma off of that beginning today because there's a stigma on fathering that, that does not need to be there any longer. Somebody say protect. We have to understand who we are. Who we are. Men, I'm going to be honest with you. I know men right now that are in their 60s that, 
they, they love Jesus and they're radically to their best of their ability following him, but they don't still really know who they are yet. They just really still don't know who they are. And I wanna, I wanna release this into you. I wanna release some purpose into you from the scripture. And I'm gonna use this word and I'm gonna say you're a forerunner. God's made you a forerunner. God has made fathers forerunners. God has made fathers forerunners. Another word, originators. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul says, though you may have 10,000 guardians, you still don't have many fathers. Fathers are forerunners. Guardians are someone that takes care of legal responsibility. Fathers are something that says, hey, I'm plowing a path that hasn't been plowed. Get behind me. I'm a forerunner. Behind me is easier, right? Underneath me is covered. God has called us as men to be protectors. He's called us as husbands to be covering. He's called us as fathers to cover over and to show the way through for our families. Somebody say amen. When we're, when we're protecting, listen, when we're protecting, we're either controlling or we're not controlling. That's one category. You're either, and you could argue that when you think you're in control, you're not in control or vice versa. But we're either controlling or we're leading. You're not leading and controlling at the same time. If you're leading, that means you're following. If you're leading, you have to be following at the same. How many of you know nobody's ever really led, you know, led into an unknown, spiritually speaking? Uh, and there's not really much of the earth le left that someone hasn't actually set feet, you know, on that place and 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 put it on a map. Amen. And so, but but I'm saying in a spiritual sense, there's. Jesus has already been every place. He, he listen to me. He's already experienced every sin. He's already, he's already carried all of the brokenness. He's already, he's already been through every place that you're going to have to go through. So as a father, you're a forerunner, but you're a leader, and a leader means that you're a follower, and so it means that you're following Jesus. You're not going to control your family into submission. You're not going to control your children to become what you think that they need to be. And, and God has a purpose for your life. See, the enemy's lie to your life is going to constantly be, what are you producing? Right? As a man, like, what's coming out of your life? As a man, like, what? Like, like we become defined by our jobs. We become defined by what we can do. For some of us, it becomes, the older we get, more about our past because we were defined by sports that we can no longer physically play. Somebody say amen. We're defined by things in our, in our lives that, that, that we once did but cannot do any longer, and we grow further and further away from that. But the enemy's lie is, is the question of what are you producing? God's purpose for your life is what are you reproducing? And it's not just a physical reproduction, but it's the spiritual reproduction of how to follow Jesus Christ. And, and he has given that primary purpose to fathers to become disciple makers of their children and their spiritual children. And your children will be your greatest disciples. I said your children and your spiritual children that you adopt in the spirit will become your greatest disciples and they will have the greatest effect 
expect and they will produce the greatest things. So don't be worried about what you're producing. Be, be concerned with what you're reproducing because always the generation that follows you, if they're standing on your shoulders, will be able to get to a higher place and do greater things than you could ever imagine in your life today. Somebody say amen. So you've got to protect, right? But not control, lead. Because you were the gate. You were a voice. You were an example. I was on a date with my daughter last night. And I was with her and we're riding home. We had a great date. And we're riding home. And so, you know, dads, we, we, we're good lecturers, some of us, right? So I'm like, listen to me. You're, you're, you're a few more years and guys are going to, they're already noticing you, but they're going to start like coming after you. And they're going to, they're going to, they're not going to relent because you're beautiful. And don't ever, don't ever even give any of them any attention if they won't care for you, if they won't open the door for you, right? If they won't pay for you. I said, when you go, when, when someday, when you go on your first date, you order the most expensive thing that's on the menu. She looked at me like dad. I said, hey, if dad can pay for it, they can pay for it, right? I said, I'm setting the example. I said, we were at a restaurant. I said, you order whatever you want. I didn't say, oh, you're not going to be able to eat all that. So that's exactly, I'm going to get exactly what you want. If they won't get you exactly what you want in the beginning, listen to me. When things become reality, it's going to be far less from where it needs to be. Amen? I understand budgets. I understand all of that. I'm speaking to you young ladies this morning. I'm saying... As a spiritual father, don't ever sell yourself short. If Jesus wouldn't treat you that way, don't let him treat you that way. Amen. And I want to say this to you. I want to say this to you this morning. I looked at her and I said, what do you think the most important thing you could ever hear from me is? Because I knew I was going to be speaking on this today. And she says that you love me. I said, really, you think that's the most important? Because I, I know it's important, but really, you think that's the most important thing? She's like, yeah, Dad, if you love me, it doesn't really matter anything else that's happening as long as you love me. And so listen to me. I'm saying with your protection comes what you don't say, but comes what you do say. And there's a message coming over the next weeks that's going to be on your words as a man, on your words as a father. But listen to me. I'm declaring over you today. That dads, you need to start echoing over your children and over children what the Father is, what the Heavenly Father is already echoing over them today. We're echoes. We're leading because we're following. Listen to me this morning. I want to. I want to say this. Uh, you you protect. Because it's leading, but it's not control. You promote secondly. And, and, and promotion, it's this, it's this wild thing, right? Because we're, we're trying to see them grow, right? And dads, I'm not saying moms don't, but most moms, I, I just watch you post on Facebook and you're, you know, you're like, he goes to kindergarten. You're like, oh, it seems like just yesterday he was in diapers. And the dad's going like, yes, you know, he's not. And the mom was like, oh, I wish he was in diapers. Or, or the like eighth grade graduation. And they're like, oh, four more years. He's going to graduate. And a lot of the dads are like, 
I mean, it's not that they want rid of you kids. That's not what I'm saying. But it's like they, they, we, we tend to have a longer because we're not as emotionally driven. And by the way, that's not bad. That's how God made moms is to be driven more by emotions, right? But the reality of it is we had children so that we would raise, you know, when we had children, we decided we were raising men and women. I, I hope you're not trying to raise girls and boys. Because if you're trying to raise girls and boys, they're going to become somebody else's problem in their adult life. And no woman wants to marry a boy. Right? And no, no, no man wants to marry a girl. Right? We want it. So we have this purpose in our lives to promote and to see, to see this strong. But here's the problem that I see. We, we, we naturally snap into this mode of manipulation when it comes to promotion and we're trying to somehow it's like I see where you are at point A and I see where you need to be by point B and it's like the the means to the end don't matter but they do they do because God doesn't have for us to operate by manipulation he asks for us to operate by biblical education let me tell you what biblical education is it, it, I'm going to give you a scripture here and then I'm going to describe it to you Proverbs 20 verse 5 says this the purpose in a man's heart is like a deep water, but a man of understanding uh, will draw it out. But a man of understanding will, will draw it out. What, what is this? The word education comes from the Latin word educare. The Latin word educare. So forget for a moment all of the things that you know about education. Not that you've been educated, but all of the things that you know about education. For just a moment, please. Because we've got it all wrong in our culture. In our culture, what, what we see with education is, what do we put in? 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 I'm not against college. I've been to college, right? I'm not against higher education. I love it. I'm a lifelong learner. But listen to me. Listen to me. People in our culture value you educationally because of what someone's put into you. But the word educare that we derive the word Latin from in our language today, we've, we've got it wrong because the root of that educare means to draw out. That means education in a kingdom sense recognizes that God's already put into you every gift, everything that he's made you for, he's created with you a capacity to do that. And there needs to be there needs to be a godly, fatherly, apostolic drawing out of what God's put in, pulling it out of you so it doesn't become something that stays hidden in you, but it's something that's pulled out of you. And this is what I, I, I've, I've hit on this for a few weeks, but now I'm talking about this as a as a father, right? As a pastor, God's called me to do that. As a father, God requires me to do that, right? He requires me to look in and to reach into the hidden things and to draw them out like water out of a stream. And, and the scripture says that God's given me that capacity and he's given me that right. And so pr promotion, seeing your, seeing your daughter grow, seeing your son grow, seeing the young people around you grow is way more to do, not with what you know, but with what God's already done. And you begin to partner with him. 
Let me, just let me just take the lid off of shame that's on parents. Let me just take the, the lid that limits parents off where it's like you're looking at that math and you're like, I never did math like this, you know. You're looking at their culture and you're like, well, it was not as bad as what I had to go. You know what? It doesn't matter if you understand their culture. It doesn't matter if you understand their math, right? It doesn't matter if they're a better scholar or an athlete than you. It doesn't, none of those things matter because God has called you to be a father. Listen to me. And he's called you to look into the things that are still hidden and call them out that they'll be produced out of them, right? It's not about the things that you put into them, right? We used to think that it was about instilling all of these values, right? Values are learned by what, by what they see us do, not by what they hear us say. Somebody say amen. Maybe that's revelation to you right? Listen to me. There's things that can be reproduced within our, within our kids just by the things that we do. We'll get to that in a moment. But here's what we have to get away from. We have to get away from living through our children and, and get towards living to empower our children. It means your kids, uh, let me burst a bubble. Let me burst a dad bubble. Your kids probably aren't going to be what you think they're going to be. They're probably, no, I'm not saying that in a bad way. They're going to be better than you thought they were going to be. They're just probably not going to get there the way you thought they were going to get there. So there's people mourning about kids not going to college or people mourning about, you know, this or that or it's... uh, you know, you're supposed to be getting a four-point or you're supposed to be the, the captain of this or doing that. And I understand dad struggles, right? We all want our kids to be the best, but they're going to... Uh, my, 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 my responsibility is not their outcome. It's about calling out of them what God's put there. And if I'm... Listen to me. If, if I'm living my life through my children, they're never going to meet my needs, but Jesus will. Jesus will meet my needs. But if I'm living my life to empower them, they will become greater than anything anyone thinks that they can be. Listen to this. John Maxwell says this. Most of us become what the most important person in our lives thinks we should become. Most of us, that's why somebody said coaches and teachers and parents are the most influential people in somebody's life. But most of us will become what the, what the dominant voice in our life says we'll become. You know what the dominant voice is for most people? Some sort of a father. It might not be a biological father, but some sort of a father that's speaking and declaring these things over us. Listen to me, listen to me. We're to help discover gifts and identity and calling. And thirdly, and finally this morning, provide. Provide, we're to provide. You know, the first thing that we provide isn't money. The first thing that we provide as fathers is identity. Do you know the first thing that you provide? Do you know the first thing that your heavenly father provides for you before he provides anything else for you is identity? Somebody say identity. Let me prove this to you. I'll prove it to you in a natural sense. A man will gift, give a woman a seed and she will take that seed and she will grow it and she will nurture it And together that will become life. Somebody say amen. Do you agree with me on that in the physical? As a mother, moms, your responsibility is to nurture. But if there's not a seed that's given, there's really nothing to grow. There's nothing to nurture. I understand you have kids physically. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying 
when a father does what a father is supposed to do and produces a seed, whether it's a word, whether it's an action, puts it into a kid, draws out, right? Draws out everything that God has put there. Then there's something to nurture. The first thing that fathers produce in children is identity, right? Uh, A man's purpose is to cover over, but that does not reduce femininity, right? The Bible says we're to give a covering and a preference to the weaker part. Weaker doesn't mean worser. Since when does weaker mean worse? That's just an American thought, right? Oh, it's stronger, it's better, right? It's, uh, it's, it's more manly, it's better. No, no, no. I mean, if that was the case, right, we would, we would, you know, I would have married a really manly chick, and I didn't. I married a really smoking hot lady that I love, right? It's like, like, manly's not better, right? It's just manly's manly, right? And femininity is not reduced because of masculinity, But God has given that boldness. God has given that strength. Ladies, even sometimes that brashness, which you're like, hey, that was a little much, right? And and he's given that. God's given that to be a covering and protection, right? That produces what God wants it to produce. And so we provide that covering. Men are gifted to provide. You were gifted to provide for your family. I mean, there's times I'm not, I'm not saying anything about wives working, working outside the home. If you work outside the home, you may well actually work less than some people that work inside the home. I don't know. I would just never say that Emily working in the home didn't work, right? Like, oh, she doesn't have a job. No, no, that's not true at all. There's a, there's a provision that needs to happen, though, and I want to deal with this because I'm especially dealing with this and some of the younger fathers in this place, right? God has called you as a man to provide for your home. And the greatest thing that gets in the way is not our capacity, it's our pride. The greatest thing that gets in the way is not our capacity. Listen to me, it's our pride. I was on the way home last night, I don't know how we got on it, but I was telling Maxine, our daughter, about how hardworking her great-grandpa is. He's still alive, he's 95. But when he was raising my dad and his brothers, my dad's brothers, he had four kids. When he was raising these four boys, a good part of the time he worked three jobs. I said, your great-grandpa knew how to work to provide for his family. It wasn't so that they would have things, it's so they would have what they needed. I just want to be, just want to be clear. It was not a wealthy family. But I want to say this to you. First Timothy 5.8 says this. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith, and such people are worse than unbelievers. So the, the Bible is saying, you know, we need to learn how to be providers. Not just financial provision, but God wants to flow through you to provide for your house. And I want to say this to you. Ladies, if things are upside down from what I'm saying in your house because there's not a man or because you're, you don't feel like you're in control and can't change those things. I'm not condemning where you're at. Listen to me. I'm just asking you to make room in your heart and in your mind for what the scripture is saying. Together, I want to declare a war on fatherlessness. 
And I want to tell you, if we're going to declare a war on fatherlessness, can I speak to the men for one last moment? If we're going to declare a war on fatherlessness, it means we're declaring a war on selfishness. Because it's the selfishness that's keeping us from fathering. Oh, we don't think we have enough time. Or, oh, we don't, yeah, I don't ever get to do anything I want to do. I'm always da 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 Or, like, I've already raised my children. I don't want to, you know, no, God's calling you in every season of your life to father, father, father. Because the greatest purpose in him that you're going to have is to disciple. And the greatest disciples you're going to have is your children and your spiritual children that God gives you. So listen to me. You got to get rid of selfishness. I don't know if I want to have kids. Biologically, okay. Spiritually, no okay. Right? Spiritually, that's not okay. God wants you to reproduce who you are. And he's called you with a specific nature towards that. And so everything that you are and that you do and that you carry from this moment on becomes potential seed for your children. I'm going to say this one more time and then we're we're going to respond to this. Everything that you are and everything that you do and everything that you say from this moment on becomes potential seed for your children. That means that the way you're talking... They have permission to talk that way. Oh, there's things that have come out of my mouth that I don't want to come out of my kid's mouth. Somebody say amen. That means everything that you're, everything that you're doing. You know, there's some people in this room this morning, I know this according to the Holy Spirit, that are caught into things. And you know what? You haven't faked your kids out. You haven't faked your wife out. But you've, you've faked some other people out. But there's addictions and there's brokenness that's inside of you. And I'm saying as a father, everything that you leave inside of you today has permission to reproduce into your children and to their children. But God's given you a capacity and an anointing and a power, especially in this moment, to say, you know what? I'm breaking that curse. I'm breaking that generational curse. I'm breaking these habits. I'm breaking these things. Hi, this is Pastor Andy Shaver, and I hope you've enjoyed this message. You know, the greatest joy of our ministry here is to see people encounter God in a relevant way and discover His plans and purposes for their lives. We exist to see their eternities altered through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you can have present and eternal peace no matter what your present circumstances are. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 that He has a heart for the hurting and the broken. The Bible teaches us in the book of Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 teaches us that if we confess our sins to him, Jesus is faithful to hear us and forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior, then I want to invite you to do that right now. Until next time, remember God loves you and so do we.